Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. Well, we welcome you, and uh, we are persevering together in this series, and we're making our way through 1 Peter chapter 4, and it's been an exciting series. It's a really down-to-earth, practical, gritty book Uh, Peter is speaking to us not only from the day he lives, but the day that we live in today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, we're going to go through this chapter today. And yeah, once again, thank you to our veterans. We love you, and thank you for serving and all that you do. God bless you. Peter has three main points in living for God that he wants us to know. And in the first seven verses of this chapter, he's going to talk to us about stop sinning, and then... The next four verses start serving, and then the last eight suffer for God's glory. And it's the kind of message you kind of expect when you come to church, right? Like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't see that one coming. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, we know this is coming, and it's very, very good. And he gives us a lot of word to chew on in this chapter. And so not only does he tell us to stop sinning, well, and to start serving and to suffer for God's glory, but he gives us reasons behind them that are so profound that he wants you and I to see it, discover it, and to live it. And so how to live for God today in the first seven verses, number one, he says you need to stop sinning. Just that plain, really, is what he's telling us. And he gives us three things to remember in that, that first of all, To do that, you need to remember the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then also, you need to remember eternity and remember that both of these are imminent. Remember the resurrection, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with that same way of thinking in your mind. Christ suffered for us to the point of crucifixion. And though it looked like things were completely out of control, the bad guys have won, we know that God had the last word in the resurrection. Amen? In the same way, many of you maybe today are in the midst of suffering, and it looks like things are so far out of control, and it doesn't seem like you're winning, or God's even winning, but you and I are called to remember the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to arm ourselves in the same way of thinking so that you can resist the temptation to quit following Christ, or even to fall back into sin. And so he says, forever has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. And this, the idea here is there's, there's two paths that you and I could take on any given day, the path of obedience or the path of sin. Following Christ means a level of suffering. That's what Peter has told us throughout this book. Because to follow Jesus means you and I are to call, we're called to take up the cross and follow him. For some people, like Peter's audience, that means they are persecuted for the cause of Christ. The fact that they won't give up their confession, even when it costs them, proves the genuineness of their confession. You know, there's things in our own lives today that prove the genuineness of our confession before Christ, like giving up comforts, like uh, being generous with our time and our money. Maybe even you're weary today, but you're still serving God. Or, you know, the temptation to quit is there, And uh, these things are pulling against us every single day, whether we want to be obedient or whether we choose the path of sin. Again, the fact that Peter's pointed out here is that you will willingly choose sacrifice proves the genuineness of your 
faith. That you have ceased from sin because rather than ceasing to follow Jesus, you choose to suffer for him. For others, the suffering provides them the temptation to medicate with sin on many different levels, that we can medicate ourselves and many things and, and retreat and go back into sin. But rather than doing that, we want to prove the genuineness of our faith to continue to serve him. Now, now, unfortunately, we see that many people never make it through the test, and we know that because the parable of the seeds, that there are many that don't make it, but there are many that do, and those that do show that our faith is genuine in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter says, you, what do you need to do? And what we're called to do is you and I are called to arm yourself with the same way of thinking that Jesus had in every circumstance. You know, he's saying, listen, you need to think of it like a weapon that you wield in battle. You're in the midst of suffering and, and you say, Christ suffered for me. He suffered for humanity. He faced what looked like ultimate defeat, what looked like God had absolutely forsaken him as his father, but look what happened. We know that God resurrected him in it. That's why the apostles, and the first day of Christianity were so unconquerable. And you see that they, there was so much fear around them, people threatening to kill them. But listen, that we see that they believed that they were convinced that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in glory. They were threatened against, we'll kill you. Well, they understood to live is Christ, to die is gain. We'll destroy your message by murdering you and your followers. Well, that's what you did to Jesus. How did that work for him and you? Well, then we'll just shut you up in prison. Well, awesome. We got some writing to do anyways to the believers, so we're just gonna do this while we're in here. That God uses pain and suffering to accomplish his work on the earth, and ultimately our pain we see will be swallowed up in victory just like Christ was. Look at verse two. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Well, what do they want to do? Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless adultery. He says these things are the cravings that the Gentile people have that did not know God for the things that were around them and the world promoted these things. He says, but though, look, number four, uh, verse four, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They, they can't even understand why you wouldn't do those things. It, well, why are they? Because they, have, they don't have a hope that goes beyond this world. But, but as believers, you and I have a hope that's beyond today. They say, chase after your dreams, feel good, uh, make the most of what you have, do what you want, spend all your money on yourself. What else is there but earthly happiness? That is what Gentile believers believed in that day. That's what non-believers believe in this day. And when you and I don't live like that, it disturbs them because it tells them the whole basis of their life and how they're living is completely off. And they will malign you. Verse five, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter's like, they don't have the last word. God has the last word because he is the ultimate judge. Keep your eyes on that. And uh, don't forget about eternity, which lasts forever. 
and uh, which if you don't know how long forever is, it's much longer than it is now. That's all I can say on that. The Apostle James says that our life is like the mist on a mirror caused by breath. Just there for a moment. That is our life. He says you also need to remember eternity. When, when you're saying, you know what, I'm choosing not to sin, your belief in the resurrection should cause you to live in a way to do things with your life, to do things with your money that is baffling, to live it with eternity in the resurrection redefines everything that you and I do on any given day. And Peter develops this as he goes on where he says, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Seems a little confusing here, but you see in this, this verse does not mean that someone went and preached the gospel to people after they were dead and got a second chance. The point of the passage is the gospel was preached to people who are now dead when they were alive. Peter says, do you think they are glad now that they live that way? It's kind of a dumb question, of course. Nobody in eternity says this, I should have given up less and indulged sin more. Nobody's going to say that, right? He's telling them to think about people that are dead and live in light of that. Fast forward your life 100 years from now, if you would, and live from that vantage point. What will you wish you had done with your life in 100 years? The glory of God, the mission of Jesus, the souls of others that need to find him. And he says the other motivation to stop sinning is the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Because why? Because you've got to remember these things are imminent. The return of Christ is imminent. It's soon and can happen in any moment, and that should change how you and I live today. How are we doing that? If we knew Jesus was coming back today, what would you do? Well, you say, well, wait a minute, wasn't this written 2,000 years ago? Uh, how could Peter have thought Jesus' return was imminent if we're still 2,000 years and waiting in that? And many people have taken this verse to say like Peter and Paul and others mistakenly predicted that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And they scoff and say, well, you see, even the apostles were wrong. Jesus didn't come back and he's not coming back. But Peter doesn't say he's coming back in his lifetime. He's telling them to live like Jesus is coming back because we don't know when he's coming back at any moment. Imminent, he is near. Think of it this way. The God's work in history has several acts, doesn't it? From the Old Testament, it's the promise to Abraham, the Mosaic covenant, the coming of Jesus, the building of the church, and the only one left is the return of Jesus. Church, we're in the last act. We're in the last act, and we don't need to wonder where we're at. Don't be confused, believers, where we're at. We are in the absolute last act of the prophecy. Jesus could return at any moment. For example, say I'm sitting in my car, waiting on my beautiful wife who's getting ready, putting the finishing touches on, and I know that I have an undisclosed amount of time, but I don't know when she's going to be coming through the garage door to get in the car. I'm going to be waiting on her. But then a thought pops into my mind. <clears throat> Maybe I can run to Starbucks down the road while, you know, I'm waiting. 
But, but if I do that and Kristen comes out, um, I'm no longer there. There's going to be a problem. <laughs> How many of you men know that that's going to be a problem if you're not there? And uh, now, listen, based on previous experiences, I might be able to run to Starbucks twice <laughs> and come back, right? Right? Before she even comes out. But no, I have to remain there like she's coming at any moment. And so Peter, this is what he's saying. You gotta, you gotta be there. You gotta remain there. You gotta remain rooted there. You gotta remain in that moment. And that's why he says, be sober. Living in light of the eminence of the end will make you live sober. It'll help you get your priorities straight. And we always think, you know, there, there are people out there that think, you know, that, well, that the end is coming. They think we're crazy. Uh, but Peter's saying, no, let me tell you something. We're in this last act. Don't give your life to sin because it's not worth it. Think about how long eternity is and remember that Jesus could come back at any moment. Don't numb yourself with sin like other people are doing. Many of us numb ourselves from questions of eternity with incessant little distractions, right? Incessant little things that come in our way. How many of you know at the, at the end, your, your bank statements, they're meaningless. Your reputation, insignificant. Your spot on the org chart, meaningless. You're standing then before God. That is as sure a future as anything else. Are you ready for that? And that's, he says, so stop doing those things, the things that don't matter. Stop sinning. And four verses now, he tells us then, start serving. Can you say that with me? Start serving. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. As God's people, you and I have a crucial role on earth. Remember, when we studied 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us in there that we are priests, and priests are people who release God's power into situations. If you're a Christian, you're a priest before the Lord. Amen? You have a vital role. Because why? You are conduits of God's power. And this is what he's saying. Listen, John Wesley said, God does nothing on earth except an answer to prayer. All God's power on earth is bound up in you and in me as believers. And that may be, seem like an overstatement, but it really is true. You and I have a vital role. It's only something that you and I are called to do. And you know, uh, prayer is the access and the way to get things done upon this earth first. Not the only thing, but in prayer. And so in January, we're going to be coming back and we're going to be starting our prayer meetings back. It's going to be called First Wednesday. So the first Wednesday of every month in 2023 that we're going to come together for praise and worship here and we're going to come together for organized prayer as we are believing God for 2023 and what he wants to speak to our hearts. And I'm, I'll tell you something, it's in these prayer meetings where God gets a lot done and a lot accomplished. I would, right now, would you take and save the date for the first Wednesday night of every month next year and come and pray? Because listen, if we as God's people don't pray for this city, that they would find Jesus, well, who will? And I know there's other churches, but who will? that we will be sober-minded and on alert, on guard, and ready to intercede. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of what? Sins. Our love 
for each other has a way of curing others of sin. Now, the word cover doesn't mean it's just going to hide it, put it behind a door. Cover here means to take it away. It takes it away. Your kindness, your love for others is the single greatest force for helping people to stop sinning. When they see how you love, when they see how you forgive, when they see how generous you are, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children, when we are empathetic with someone's pain and excited in another's joy, when we care for each other's needs. That is the great secret of the church. Our love for each other is the power that God wakes people up from sin. Romans 2, 4 says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Hatred didn't lead anybody to repentance, but God's kindness does. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, which I always think is interesting in there is which he's saying, yeah, I know that some of you are showing hospitality and you're grumbling about it. Like, I got to go serve those people again. I got to go take that. I got to carry that box there. I got to go over there and do that. I got to go help thy neighbor and do that, right? So he's telling us, hey, you know, show hospitality without even grumbling. But the book of Acts says in the first church, there were no poor among them. I want you to let that sink in. There were no poor among them. But what happened is it says then after that, that God added to their number daily. So many times we want to get to God added to their number daily without understanding they met each other's needs and there were no poor among them. You do not get to the added until you are serving and helping the poor. The generosity and the love of the gospel is on display. And that is the greatest apologetic in the world. He says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's manifold grace. Each one. You each have a gift. Every person in here has a gift to serve the body and the church. I believe God uses the local church. That is his avenue. And to disconnect your life and to disconnect your ministry from the local church is not even a New Testament dynamic. It has to be connected to the local church because that's where God's hand of blessing is. You can't disconnect it in the word. There's no disconnection. It's one in the same. It's a manifold grace of God. And you and I have to take it seriously because each one of you has received a gift to serve the body of Christ. And, and, and I just kind of want to use this today as a little bit of analogy here. Well, say on my body here, my left elbow, it, it needed to be itched. It needed to be scratched, right? And so what happens is if it itches, well, it's going to send signals up to my brain that say, listen, I need to be itched. I need to be scratched right? And so our bodies do this. So in our physical body, it's the dynamic as a spiritual body. So what happens? Does my brain send out lightning bolts? They scratch it, itch it, itch it, scratch it. Does it send out lightning bolts to do that? No. What it does is it calls for another part of the body to respond to the itch that's happening on my left elbow. God doesn't send out lightning bolts wave a magic wand, he calls another portion of the body to come over and say, 
I need to be itched and I need to be scratched here. And then by doing that, the itch is satisfied, but also the other part of the body, my right hand is also in it exhorted because they serve. What you and I need to realize is that God is a sovereign God, but listen, he just doesn't send out lightning bolts to take care of the needs that need to be served in the body. He has chosen you and he has chosen me to serve the body of Christ, not wave some magic wand. God, well, I hope somebody else in the body takes care of that. God says, I've called you to do that in the body to go love somebody else and quit expecting somebody else to go do it, right? That you and I are called to take our part of the body and come and minister to the other part of the body, whether that's in kids' ministry. Wow, God, I really pray that, God, you'll send tons of laborers into the kids' ministry. God's speaking to you, sir or ma'am, to go serve our kids, amen? Or how about our students or our group leaders or our worship team or wherever it may be in the church, we keep pushing these things off like, God, just send something magical over there, you know, and take care of it. God says, no, I've called you and I'm sending you because each one of you has received a gift. Let me ask you today, if this is your church, are you serving it? Each one of you has received a gift. Some of you have received multiple gifts to serve the body of Christ. And he says, listen, you gotta take this seriously because you're here for a reason and you're here for a purpose. And listen, about as long as you breathe upon a mirror and it's evaporated, that's our life. And that's gone. So what are you doing with your life? Are you serving the local church with your gifts? Which I am so thankful that uh, we have many, many people that are serving the body of Christ as our A-team members here. That week in and week out, they're serving, they're loving, they're going, they're caring for people because they really understand that, that dynamic. They understand that they've received a gift and now they're serving others with it. Because why? Because God's manifold grace. He says, whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, so that, that's very serious. Gotta take that serious. The oracles of God, but look, it's not just me, it's whoever. You speak to one another. Why? It's, it's so important why small groups and relationships are important. Why? Because you're exhorting one another, you're encouraging, you're lifting up. You speak the oracles of God. Something our church needs more of is people speaking the word of God to others. I'm not supposed to be the only one. You're called to do that. Sometimes it's when you feel a specific word for someone. You're, high, you're highly favored of God. You, you're cherished. You, you know you are loved here as high as the heavens are above the earth. That is amazing. The oracles of God. God is using my mouth and God is using your mouth. And we have incredible group leaders here that are doing that, exhorting and, and speaking the very oracle of God and living that out. We have teachers and leaders in the church that are, that are, that are doing that. And I'm so thankful for that, that they're using and you're using your mouth to exhort the Lord Jesus Christ. Because whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, he says, you need to take it seriously. Jesus is doing this through you. Remember how Jesus washed their feet. What did that communicate to them? Love. He was serving. He was, they were touched by him. You know, I always look at that. The depth of a, a church that is serving has understood the love of God. That I am loved and I am here 
to serve. I'm loved, so the natural expression of my life is I will serve others. That's the dynamic Peter's talking about. And then the last eight verses of this chapter exhort us to suffer for God's glory. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, that hard times develop our character. Chuck Swindoll said this, if we view life as a schoolroom and God is the instructor, it should come as no surprise when we encounter pop quizzes and periodic examinations. Maturity in the Christian life, he says, is measured by our ability to withstand the tests that come our way without having them shake our foundation or throw us into an emotional tailspin. Hard times as a Christian actually bring us closer to God. He says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And he blesses us three ways. Participation, how? We share in the sufferings of Christ. There is impartation, which we experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then there's exaltation. We will rejoice when we see Christ. The word participate in verse 13 is a word you've heard many, many times. It's the verb koinonia, translated as fellowship, that our sufferings join us with Jesus in a way that nothing else can. That God intends that our hard times move us from where we are at to move us to where Christ is. And so you gotta know this today, if you're going through something painful and you're going through something difficult in your life today, Actually, Peter says, listen, inside of this, if this is Christ, your pain actually moves you closer to Jesus because you are participating and sharing in the suffering. Sufferings that he went through, he understands it today. That our suffering shouldn't drive us away from the Lord, that our suffering moves us closer to him today. And it's in those moments we cry out for desperation. Sometimes a little hard to understand suffering because none of us want it. But let me tell you something today. God is in it. And he's in it for a purpose because he wants you close. He doesn't want you far away. He wants you near him. So he does allow suffering. Many, many times in our life, I pray today that you would allow it to drive you closer to him. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal, even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as Christians, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear, you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the Righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's saying, listen, in your hard time, your trial, your test, it should lead us to some serious self-examination, but not that, only praise. The early believers would not say Caesar is Lord. They would rather die, and some of them did, because they would not. And this is why the early Christians were persecuted. The lines were drawn early. Caesar or Christ? How about you? When it comes down to it, Caesar, Christ. 
What if they threaten you because of your faith? Well, Peter's answer is clear. Let him not be ashamed. Don't do anything that would dishonor the Lord. Instead, praise God that you're counted worthy to suffer for his name. His judgment, he said, begins in the house of the Lord. The Lord starts with his own children. He's faithful. He loves us. And God has a way of turning up the heat in our lives through trials today. If you're going through a trial, you say, man, it's getting pretty hot. Some of you are going through a furnace. But we can be confident that God is in control. He said the outcome if we don't obey, the gospel is judgment. His, he disciplines us to make us holy through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. See, what happens is, is difficult times loosen us from our, for, from our love of this earth. And they make us long for heaven. I mean, doesn't that do that in you? Because it does it in me. That we don't have to feel hopeless like the non-believer, though they can find hope in Christ, but that we have a hope today that our eyes are on eternity and that every single day that goes by, we are getting closer to see him again. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do what? Good. When trouble comes, it's going to come sooner or later. We generally can't do a lot in that circumstance. You know, we, we can't just wave our hands and make the whole world better or cause angry people to like us. But there's un, one thing we can do. In the midst of our troubles, we can commit ourselves to our faithful creator. The word commit is a banking term that means make a deposit. Will you commit today to God? It's a deposit. It's a banking term. Would you commit to him? Have you done that? Do you need to do that today? Trust him today? Whatever you're going through, whatever trial, whatever circumstance, whatever pain, whatever suffering, that God is here. He's using it for his glory and his honor. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, that you have encouraged us in this word to stop sinning. Maybe some of you that are here today say, you know what, there's an area that I felt that God really pointed out. Why was We were reading his word today, and it's an area where I've been sinning, and I need to stop. Would you just take a moment today, would you confess that to the Lord? Would you stop that? You have the power to stop it, sir, ma'am, through the help and the power of Jesus and the work of his spirit. Maybe it's an area where he said today you need to start serving. You haven't been serving the body of Christ. Would you take a moment today and would you just say, hey, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make a concerted effort right now this week to get involved in the body of Christ. And that also I would realize through it that I realize that through my suffering that God, I'm going to bring you the maximum glory for others to see. And that would draw other people to you. They had to bow and eyes are closed. I'd like to ask you today, maybe there's some of you in the room that are going through a fiery trial, a test, something in your life, something you're going through, something maybe you've carried with you for months. Maybe it's something that came up this week and it's heavy upon your heart. I'd just like to ask you today that saying, you know what? I just want you to raise your hand and just take this moment and just reach out to God to say, God, I am needing your help right now. Would you raise your hand right now in this room? Thank you, Lord. So, Father, I pray for every hand that's raised right now.
that the Comforter is here. That God, through the pain and the struggle, you're drawing us closer to you because you want us near. And so, Lord, I thank you right now that you would help those that are going through a fiery trial, whether it's sickness, whether it's disease, whether it's grief, pain. Maybe it's nothing left in the bank account. Maybe they're looking for a job. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would help them. Thank you for the manifold grace that you give us. Lord, in these moments especially to help us with our suffering, trials to know we are never alone. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.